what a ride our first season of the Data Chief podcast has been. We recorded that first episode back in December 2019 and later launched in April 2020. I had a goal of bringing you the brightest minds in the industry to share their best practices, struggles, and personal journeys as data and analytics leaders. And oh, what a gift it proved to be for me personally, too, as I look back on just what a challenging year 2020 turned out to be. You were asked to accelerate digital transformation, to expedite your cloud migration plans, to throw away dashboards and answer a gazillion new questions of your data, all while doing more with less. Less resources, less cost, and working from home at the same time. I thank you for tuning in, and I thank these CDOs and CIOs for so willingly sharing their insights. As Jeff Noto, SVP of Business Analytics at Verizon, so aptly said early on in the pandemic, for leaders in the analytics industry, this is a time for maximum impact. To the extent we can be nimble, we can be positioned to accelerate the adoption of data-driven analytics. So in this episode of The Data Chief, I've pulled together some of the best advice from all our guests in the last year. You data leaders are so often on the move, either on to your next organization or on to your next big challenge as a change agent. I've broken this recap into five segments. The first segment covers the role of the CDO. Segment two focuses on aligning data to business value. Number three covers technology, everything from cloud to NLP to AI. Segment four, we discuss culture and people change management. And finally, we close with best practices on boosting data fluency. In compiling these key takeaways, I hope you feel as energized and inspired as I do. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for you to use search and AI to analyze your company's data lightning fast. Business people at companies like Walmart, Hulu, and Medtronic use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can too. Learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. Congratulations! You complained so much about slow access to data, you are now the Chief Data Officer or Head of Analytics. No matter your title, you are a data chief, a champion of using data for business value and transformation. I hope you report to the CEO because that's where this role really belongs. You are a change agent, a connector, and a collaborator in one of the most exciting professions ever. Oh, but you also take a bruising when you get caught between competing priorities and driving change. It's not an unfamiliar spot for Tom Davenport, prolific author and distinguished professor of information technology and management at Babson College, guest lecturer now at Oxford University who joined me to discuss the future role of the CDO. I think that more CDOs will realize that it's pretty much untenable to focus on things like 
data architecture and governance and too hard to show progress. So they will shift much more toward being chief data and analytics officers, which is much easier to show value. That's one of my predictions. And it's already been happening. So I'm pretty sure it will come true. That's interesting because I saw earlier in the year, you and Randy Bean co-wrote a note about, are you asking too much of your CDOs? But if it's untenable for them to be looking after data architecture, who should be looking after it? Well, I I don't really mean that that no one should be looking after it, but it's really difficult to show progress. And certainly no one ever sees perfection in that regard. And so I think you should have a kind of a fallback activity like analytics. I suppose it's fine to combine the roles of chief data and analytics officer. And I do think that organizations should try to make progress on data. And I have some opinions about how best to do that. But to be to have that be your only job, I think, is a really tough assignment and better off combining it with doing something with data, which is kind of what I call analytics. So over time, the role has changed. So you're advocating for it to move more towards the analytics side of things. Do you subscribe to this belief that the role eventually will go away? So if you look at some of the digital natives like Facebook, they don't even have a CDO or a CAO. It just is part of everyone's job. Yeah, it's pervasive in those places. So I think it's possible that it will go away. I It's a semi-controversial position, but I think that it's a little crazy to sort of proliferate all these chief roles in technology, chief information officer, the oldest one, chief technology officer, chief digital officer, chief data officer, chief analytics officer, chief information security officer, et cetera, without some kind of reporting hierarchy among them. So I think it's not unlikely that they will all kind of collapse back under a chief information officer role at some point. As a data leader, it's also about making sure you have the right people on your team, whether it's inside or outside partnerships. When Craig Rowlands took the helm as general manager of MetaBank, he focused on making strategic partnerships with vendors who were readily equipped to handle the changes they needed, but also honest conversations with his people internally. When I went in and I had lots of conversations with stakeholders, it was pretty clear that they weren't happy with with the environment, um, the fact right. that there was a number of, of warehouses. So a lot of these were, were fairly obvious. And I think when I read the data strategy that was provided by, by an external consultancy, probably at the time, that may have been the flavor of the month. But when you look at that over the course of time, and, and you determine that if we are going to use a cloud-first strategy, and that was a Medibank strategy, way above what I would do, and, and, and I would be in agreement of it anyway, a cloud-first strategy, then, then things needed to change, and they needed to change quickly in some cases to resolve for risk outcomes, and obviously more steadily. But, but even from a vendor point of view, the conversations with the vendors, are, so one of the first conversations I had with one of the vendors for the data warehouses, um, he was very direct, and he said, um, Craig, are, are we still going to be here in 12 months? 
And, and, and my answer to that was, it really depends on the proposition that you're you're willing to put forward and the strategic outcome that we can both work towards. I mean, if you're a strategic vendor, then then I'm very open-minded. They become a partner, right? And then it's a, it's a vested interest for both of you. If if they're an individual who just wants to sell you the biggest server, and then when support is required, they're not there, that's not a partner strategically. The second key discussion point among our data chiefs this year was about aligning to business value. Failure to align to business outcomes is what often causes analytics to fall into the trap of being perceived as a technology initiative rather than a business initiative. Now, with some things, you may be unclear on the value initially, and that's okay. Experimentation and demonstrating the art of the possible has to be part of your innovation strategy. But ultimately, aligning to business outcomes is what inspires people to march in the same direction, and it's how you fund your data and analytics investments. Avnet CIO Max Chan put it this way. I think data is really a lifeline of the organizations and any organizations who understand how to leverage data, organizations that understand how to monetize data, right, will be able to get ahead of the competitions through their digital transformations. And and let me just get into what that truly means uh, from an AppNet perspective. The amount of data generated through our sourcing, through our material management, through our point of sales and everything in between, coupled with industry-related or market-related or even environmental-related data, right? Being able to see how that is impacting a certain change in the business and helping us to be able to make the right decisions when we are placing an order or when we are quoting a particular component to a customer could mean making a profit or making a loss, right? And this is just scratching the surface of what that data means to us from a digital transformation. So that is just unbelievable opportunities out there for organizations who can leverage data properly. But while data may be a company's lifeline, Suzette Kent, the former U.S. Federal Chief Information Officer, explained that gathering data isn't the first step in aligning business values. Asking the right questions is. Inside the federal government, we can be data and technology-led but it requires that the whole kind of business process and the whole operational team be on board. And you can't drive change only from a technology side. When we are considering new technology and new uses of data, many times we don't know every single thing when we start. And that is why we need some very practical applications. The very first thing in the federal data strategy year one action plan was clarity around the questions that you want to answer. When we collect data inside the federal government, that's governed by law and it's governed by policy. And how we use that data um, has one of the primary roles of the federal CIO is to protect the data that is on our federal networks. That means privacy. That means, you know, ethical use. That means um, that it's used 
for the purpose in which it was collected and kind of that contract with citizens. And so that's a, that's a very important set of concepts. So when we collect and use that, or, you know, when we have the data, being very clear about what we're going to do with it and what we expect the outcome to be is a key success factor. I, I know I love talking to the folks on the you know, CDO council because sometimes you get so excited because you can do things that you didn't expect or you weren't aware of data and that's great. But we have to be relentlessly focused on what we're trying to accomplish to ensure both the quality of the data and the quality of the outcome, ensure that we're acting within the bounds of that contract or bounds of that agreement that we have with citizens. Author and futurist Bernard Marr explains how he helps leaders prioritize using the 80-20 rule. The problem is that lots of companies have become very good at hoarding data. I guess to some extent you would blame some of the vendors for this because they want to sell their, their cloud storage solutions. And if you listen to companies like Google and Amazon, they would say, okay, we never throw away any bit of data because at some point it could be really important that you have this data point from 10 years ago. Data is going out of date and, yeah. and we need to be aware of this. And instead of just storing everything, I actually with my clients, we often look at this, what's the minimum amount of data we can store that will generate the most value. So if you can approach this strategically and say, okay, what are the most important strategic challenges we have as a business? How can data help us? If we then focus on collecting those data points and those data sets that will help us solve those problems, you very quickly get to this 80-20 rule where actually you're generating 80% of the value with 20% of the data. Virada Sankaran, the Executive Director of Advanced Analytics, AI, and Machine Learning at Verizon, aligning business outcomes with data requires defining new KPIs, particularly as they double down on customer experience, pivoting from what historically was a channel-based view of the customer. For us, to be able to measure NPS in a tangible fashion is not very easy, right? It's not easy to really measure NPS. You know, I can't say, okay, if I make this change in my experience, it's going to result in an X percent increase. So we take, you know, uh, high-level KPIs. So one of the things that we focus on is building out something called a quality experience core, which is kind of a leading indicator to NPS. So, you know, we leverage that as we are building out, you know, and we are looking, doing analytics and looking at opportunities. We look at opportunities to see, okay, what do we think the QES lift will be for this? What do we think the revenue lift will be for this? And what will be the cost reduction in the process? We don't want to compromise customer experience, but at the same time, we are a business and we need to run a business, right? So we have to kind of measure. And it's like now a three-pronged approach for us. It's revenue accretion cost reduction, and NPS sits in the center for us really to measure this across the board for our customers. Now that you've got your data, where do you store it? On-premises or in the cloud? We know the past was on-premises, but for sure, 
the pandemic has forced all of you to accelerate your cloud adoption plans. The struggle is how to get there faster. And then it's about modernizing your data and analytics portfolio to leverage AI and search to speed the time to insight and ultimately action. Jim Tayo, CDO of Invesco, had a unique vision for how he wanted his employees at Nationwide to experience and tap into data. The marketplace is, has kind of been a vision or a dream of mine since um, I was an analyst very early on in my career. As online uh, markets like Amazon and uh, other shopping experiences were coming into focus, and it was it was such a, a cool way to to shop or to buy, or even now we're we're interacting with virtual doctor visits and and things like that. Uh, data, for whatever reason, has continued to be almost locked up, contained. It a very small percentage of your overall associates have a have access to a very small percentage of your data. I've had this vision where why can't I create an Amazon-like experience shopping for data within the organization? And, you know, started to think about that when I was in my first role as a data officer. My second role got a little bit farther. Here at Nationwide, we actually made it happen. It's come to fruition. We have a completely virtualized shopping experience, data. You can, any associate in the company. For Alberto Ray Villaverde, CDO of Virgin Media, we should be thinking about data technology from three perspectives. Any data product has three components in my head, or three things you need to kind of get right uh, for it to, to succeed. One is the access. There's many companies that are still fighting with, with uh, data silos. So if you're going to try to kind of build something, make sure that that is not going to be a hard one. You're not going to be chasing people about data. That when you put this in life, you're not going to be uh, you're, not, you're not going to be having issues with pumping the data on a day-to-day basis. Is the infrastructure the correct one? Do you have the right tools? Is the problem they are trying to solve too big for the tools that you have today? So that's what I kind of see on the access side. Then uh, the model, which is where in my head quite a lot of the values really created, is where you have your data scientists, your analysts, your expert that comes there with the code, uh, tortures the data long enough so it can tell you exactly what is hidden in there. And uh, if, you, if you have the right level of skills uh, and, and, and talent and passionate people about data, you, you usually succeed through that one, right? And then the third uh, bit, which in my opinion is the one where most of the people fail when they fail, is the, the last mile, the delivery. Because sometimes we forget that, you know, the product that we build needs to live in the organization we are in, and you need to be adaptable to that. According to Sully McConnell, the CDO at the Hartford, the future of data and analytics is in the cloud. The pace of change in our field is crazy. It's uh, Things are changing very, very rapidly, driven, of course, in large part by data volumes growing and the need for data freshness to grow and the need to embed analytics into business processes and, uh, and, and the importance of cloud and all of that. So with so much change, you, you really have to uh, keep abreast of it and, and really understand what some of the most innovative companies are doing in this space. The suite vendors are really trying to bundle as much as they can because that's their opportunity to grow. In my personal opinion is the big innovation is with the, with the smaller companies that are thinking about sort of things, you know, cloud native. And that's where the innovation will, will happen because of 
the large volumes of data that IoT devices are driving into the cloud. So uh, it, that's completely impractical to bring on-prem, of course. And so all of the services are gravitating, right? Data has gravity. All of these very interesting services are gravitating towards this very lar large uh, volumes of data in the cloud. So we think a lot of the innovation is, is being driven by these smaller vendors that are cloud native and give you very, very interesting characteristics uh, for, the, um, for the application space that they're in. So the question is, how do you make the case? In my head, and I forget, there's probably a very good Gartner statistic. I think, I think it is something like uh, in 2023, 90% uh, of the organizations will say they are competing on data and analytics. It's something like that. And I think if you think about the opportunity that data and data science and AI has to make an impact on an organization's bottom line, you have to believe that. So if you believe that, then you have to take advantage of as much of this innovation as you can. In my conversation with Gustavo Cantone, head of analytics at Starbucks, he shared how he is leveraging ThoughtSpot to drive innovation. We knew that the typical BI approach was not the right approach for us. It was not really fulfilling the needs that we needed because the traditional BI model is the basically the person is trying to fish for information as opposed to the information come to you, right? And that's the way it should be. And so in the case of ThoughtSpot, there are several areas that starting to look into this uh, technology or, or different way of looking at data at the time. And we were one of the things we were basically lobbying to make sure that the organization keep it a, a pilot. I always say, once we have these best-in-class solutions, the minimum we should do is to pilot. Understand what they can do, understand how, it, you know, with, with the Walmart data, which is a huge data set, right, that you can imagine, what can we do with our data? And in some cases, it's just experimenting because you learn from experimenting. Right? But even to do a pilot, you need people, you need bandwidth, you need funding. So it's how do you prioritize what you pilot when every startup, every cool technology vendor is making a pitch? Well, I guess it comes a little bit from experience. You know, you need to, one, you need to understand what is your goal. Like I, I mentioned earlier, our goal is very clear, free of time energy from people. That was our goal back then as well, right? So that's number one. So if we want to achieve that goal, what are some of the tools that are available that we can create the right infrastructure with the data, the research, the analytics, knowledge management, all put together to accomplish that goal? And so we, we basically do a lot of testing and assessment with these uh, organizations. We involve our technology experts. And then from there, we have to make a, a choice, right? And we have to, to work with somebody. And in some cases, like in the case of ThoughtSpot, we look for organizations that are not rigid, that are open to look at what the customer is looking to do. And they will basically help co-design and co-build with them. And one of the the things that caught my attention with Dustpot is that they were very willing to work with us to get to that goal. Like so co-innovation co matters. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's very important. Culture remains the top barrier for companies to truly transform. As cited by 67% of leaders attending ThoughtSpot Thought Leaders events in the last year. And just published research from New Vantage Partners also validates this at a whopping 92% of survey respondents. Technology and culture are two sides of the same coin. A culture of fear, 
protecting the status quo, and settling for good enough often includes on-premises technology saddled with slow processes drowning in reports and dashboards. At the other end of the spectrum, organizations who are leaders in data and analytics are early to cloud, augmented analytics, and empowering new decision makers at the speed business demands. On culture and mindset change, here's John Osborne, a data leader in the healthcare industry. In my experience, having been on provider side in healthcare, on you know revenue side, and and also in retail, I, I think one of the things that holds back healthcare is that some of the data is relatively complex, and the relationships are hard to build. And I think, you know, back to your earlier point, not starting out in data, you know, for many years I solved sort of the front end problems and those types of things, and I feel like those solutions are kind of out there now. And data still has issues and new tools are needed like like Snowflake and ThoughtSpot to actually solve some of these problems where, you know, maybe traditional relational tools just hold these uh, companies back. Yet they're so grounded in them, it's difficult to migrate. It's difficult to get any sort of agility right. in, when you have like not only tools that have been around for 25 years, but also people who with mindsets that are 25 years old too. Um, so I think healthcare for whatever reason moves at a, a much slower pace. And I'm not quite certain if it's because of the level of investments maybe are less than in retail or if competitively it's just an environment that doesn't demand as much out of your systems like our retail uh, would, particularly online retail. I mean, if you're not fully agile in that space, you're kind of out of business, right? Yeah. So uh, that's not true. I mean, hospitals aren't necessarily going to go out of business because they have slow reporting or or that kind of thing. But it holds them back from maybe producing a higher level of care or getting predictive or or having some of these newer you know healthcare models uh, actually work uh, for them. Avnet CIO Max Chan told us that he brings in outside experts to help complement his internal team skills. It was a decision that threatened some, but here's how we spun it into a positive experience for his employees. The upscaling is really helping the team understand that this is not a either or scenario. We are not here to replace that skill set that they possess. Because um, one thing that I continue to, to remind my team who have been around for many years, right, is what differentiate them from the expert that we can find uh, externally? The external expert may be very, very attuned to new technology. The internal team has a wealth of knowledge of what the business is about, what we are trying to achieve from a business standpoint. If we were to transform, how do we bring the old and the new together, etc. Right. So, mm. so I think that marriage really what opens their eyes. And as soon as they see that their positions is not threatened, they are really adding capabilities to what they're doing day to day. Author Bernard Marr also spoke to the fear that some feel when new technologies are brought into the workplace. 
I think once the top of the organization understands what can be done, then it's really important to take everyone with you on this journey. So it's about communicating, engaging, because I also feel that there's lots of scaremongering and lots of fear. If you mention the word AI, people become scared about their jobs and, and the change that this might bring. And, and this is really important that you actually put the people into the driving seat and say, okay, let's use this technology to make your jobs better. Let's make our services better, our products better, and oh, in the end, our company more successful. For Dr. Dana Rollison of the Moffitt Cancer Center, the difference between physicians understanding data and those who do not could be the difference between a life saved and a life lost. It's not just how accurate the, the algorithm is, but also how well the physicians understand it. They're less likely to trust a black box um, if they understand what's behind the black box, then they may be more inclined to use it. AI is just a tool. It, it doesn't replace the human at all. I think about some of our hematopathologists, some of whom I collaborate with on research studies, and some of their time is spent literally counting the number of cells that meet certain criteria. This is an activity that could be done with AI. It doesn't need to be done by a human. And then their brain power can be reserved for the truly important clinical interpretation of those numbers and the treatment recommendations. So I think there are clear pieces of the workflows in the, in, whether it's a radiologist or a pathologist working with images that that AI can be used to, to really have them working, as we say, top of license. Um, how do we create that, that efficiency so that they're truly leveraging their skills and their experience and the knowledge they've gained over many years to, to inform treatment decisions? And I think the combination of those two approaches, educating so that people understand what these algorithms are doing and how they're created, how they're validated, as well as uh, positioning them to really be accelerators of the physician's day-to-day -day activities and not seen as a replacement are key to the adoption of these technologies. Scott Peck is the Senior Director of the Data and Analytics Center of Excellence at Price Waterhouse Coopers. He told us what he envisions to be the analyst of the future. You don't need a, to create a whole dashboard to generate a cool insight. Um, and and the, the businesses are changing so rapidly yeah. that you're constantly in a rework mode with dashboards all the time because you'll get it out and two weeks later, it's like it already needs to be changed again. So what's the value in it? Why not focus on more? Let's just constantly every day come in and let's look for the insights that's changing the business and let's show that. And that's kind of where we're shifting towards now. So our mission statement right now is analysts of the future, building analysts for the future that are using the newer technologies. And we are the ones driving insights across platforms. Uh, we're solving business problems. And that's what I want us to be, to be doing. People come to us because we know data and we're really good at it. And our highest value is to be solving those business problems using the information that we have. Analysts of the future is a strategy that we've been pushing for the last year. We have taken every dashboard developer and we said, all right, we're going to train you to do something different. And my goal is to make every one of you a rock star analyst where the, your name is known across the board 
because you know how to find the insights and you're, you're fast, you're efficient, you're using tools like ThoughtSpot uh, that you can get to those insights super quick. And, and then it's about publishing the insight itself and not have to send a whole dashboard out there to do it all the time. Lastly, new research from Accenture shows only 21% of people are confident in their data skills. Without these skills, how can you possibly democratize data or become a data-driven organization? Now, not everyone needs to be at the same level of fluency, but everyone needs to value data to be able to interpret a graph and to communicate using data. Investing in data fluency is part of your mandate as a chief data officer and as you partner with HR and your business stakeholders to build these skills across your organization. And certainly, as an industry, we need to flip the emphasis on training on the technical to training on the data in a business context. So for our final segment today, let's hear our data chief's takes on data fluency, starting with Stefan Harris, now corporate vice president at Microsoft for cloud and AI business, how he told us why it was his duty to ensure people could understand the data stories he was sharing. I started to realize that my data literacy was at, you know, 90%, whereas the other individual's data literacy um, and the practices around, uh, you know, understanding data, how it transforms through systems and then, you know, shows up for uh, uh, the consumer to use it, uh, we're on two different ends of the spectrum. And for so sure. my job was to educate, to inform, and to bring them along the journey, as was it to learn and to listen more than I speak. And, um, and I always have to throttle that in order to be effective. Citigroup's Chris Powers also shared how he brings his team on the data journey with him. Data literacy is, it's almost like my wife's an English major, right? Uh, graduate. Me and, too. Oh, very good. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> yeah, very good. And, uh, uh, so you know as well that there's very, there's, there's disciplines, right? You might be in, in, in grammar or literature or, you know, there's all these different avenues, right? And data is really the same way. So I kind of approach it from a, a different aspect is that you need to start with first the people connection. You got to build, you got to connect, right? And inspire. Um, you have to eliminate the fear of learning something new. One of my sales jobs was selling pianos and organs because I played pianos. I was like, well, I know how to do that. And of course I was in sales. So but I was more interested in helping the customer than getting up on the leaderboard. So, right. you know, kind yeah. of didn't, yeah. didn't like that. But that, the first thing I would do is, you know, I would sit somebody down. Our average age was 70, right? Because they retire, have disposable income. They've always wanted to play. Now they have the time and they have the money. So they would come in and they would want to learn how to play. So the first thing I would do is sit them down and nerves, fear, it's something new. I don't know how to do this. And sometimes they would leave the store. So I started, I would take their hand and I would bang it on the keyboard and they would like try to pull their hand away. And the first thing I was trying to teach them was that you can't hurt it by making a mistake, right? That don't be afraid of the instrument. And every single one of the next step, uh, right after I did that, the first thing they would do without even thinking about it is they would put their hands on the keyboard. 
So bringing people on that journey at first, uh, so like, for example, we brought in, uh, we bring in different vendors and we do workshops with our employees. So we do those and we try to show people how they can work with their own data so that they understand it is a journey that they can take, right? So if you can keep it simple, or as I like to call it, common data sense, right? We all have common sense, but we don't always have common data sense. Like, should I be doing it this way or that way? Um, and, and then you, you build that trust. And then once you have the trust, you can, the journey's much easier. That's it for today's episode of The Data Chief. As I look ahead to 2021 and the years beyond, I continue to believe and see how data can make the world a better place. And at ThoughtSpot, this is why we have a mission to create a more fact-driven world. It can be a challenging and chaotic world, but for that, I'm so grateful to share this journey with you. My listeners and guests inspire me to be equally bold. Thanks for an amazing first season of The Data Chief. To hear these interviews in full, go to thedatachief.com or check out the links in our show notes. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Data Chief. To learn more about today's guest, recommend a future guest, or hear more of the show, head over to thedatachief.com. If you have questions for Cindy or comments about the episode, give her a shout by dropping your thoughts on LinkedIn and tagging Cindy Housen. That's C-I-N-D-I Housen. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Every review helps more people discover the podcast and helps us improve our content. The Data Chief is brought to you by our friends at ThoughtSpot. Searching through your company's data for insights doesn't have to be complicated. ThoughtSpot makes it easy. With ThoughtSpot, anyone in your organization can easily answer their own data questions, find facts, and make better, faster decisions. Learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com.